This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hey there, stackers. Before we kick off today's show, we've been recording ahead slightly because of the fact that we've got a ton of stuff, mostly around my book tour, going on here in the basement. We normally have Who's headlines. Yes, we, nor- <laughs> we, norm- we normally have us. headlines uh, that are as up to the minute as we can get. I wanted, though, before we start today, OG, to get your take on the latest thing that just happened a couple of days ago. Elon Musk, uh, Twitter took him up on his offer, OG. What's going on there? Yeah, I, I wish that uh, I wish I had some great insight. I, like most people, are just kind of catching this real time and, and uh, uh trying to figure out what what if anything i mean apparently he and a whole bunch of buddies just threw in a couple you know 40 or 50 billion dollars they just you know looked in their couch cushions for some extra spare change decided to uh pick up a publicly traded company on the on the cheap according to them um you know there's a lot of opinions about it whether it's good or bad you know should media companies be owned by private individuals if in fact you think t- Twitter is a media company, I would. They're not. Say, they can't be. They're I would say that. I would say that uh, you know, lots of rich people own media companies all over the world. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Um, Does this change anything? And this is the key to our show. Change anything about your investment strategy, OG? Well, it will change if you own Twitter stock. You will cease to own Twitter stock at some some time in the future, and you'll have a pile of cash. Or a Twitter employee or a Twitter uh, stockholder, eventually you'll have a, a bucket of cash where you once had Twitter stock. You'll have to pay some taxes on that. It's a forced sale that you maybe not were uh, anticipating. But um, uh, if you're a regular old schmo like you and me, I wouldn't think that it makes any difference whatsoever in your investing. Not too many times that we need to cover a very current headline, but today's the exception. Let's get you to our normally scheduled programming. 
you know, I don't understand this podcasting thing. How come you boys can't have those keg parties and chase the girls like all the other nice boys do? Y'all are nerds. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and oh, God, it's going to be a long day. Joe's man crush is here. means I'm going to be fielding texts from him all morning like, do you like this outfit? Maybe this one's better. Hold on. I can find another one. I should have never introduced that guy to Austin Cleon. Yep, Austin Cleon's here today. Get ready to crush too as we welcome the author of a book celebrating its 10th anniversary, Steal Like an Artist. Today in headlines, are crypto coins increasingly correlating to the stock market? We'll ponder that before we magnify a listener's question and before I steal like a trivia host. And now, two guys who fangirl for your funds, Joe. Oh, and oh, J-J-J-J-G. Hey there, stackers. Happy Wednesday to you. I am Joe Salci. I average your money on Twitter. And uh, Doug's right. I am uh, super geek today because this dude is awesome, OG. It's going to be a going to be a great day here in the basement. Oh, you're talking about him. I thought you were you were looking at me and saying this dude's really awesome. I just it's <laughs> honest mistake. His ego just went into autopilot and assumed we were talking about <laughs> yes. him. It is Mr. <laughs> Mr. OG is here too. More, who's also more flowery compliments. It's just another <laughs> yada yada yada. Wednesday. Just a routine Wednesday. Mr. OG is here today too. How are you, brother? Apparently aloof. <laughs> We were talking about earlier, just before we hit record, that uh, OG might be slightly aloof, and and uh, Doug OG said he well he immediately took umbrage <laughs> to that, and then we hear clickety 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 on the keyboard, and he goes to dictionary.com and and reads the definition, and you could see the OG. Can oh, you read us the definition yeah. of aloof? No, I may not. <laughs> and there it is. The look of, oh, crap, on his face as he was reading the definition, like, yeah, that might be me. <laughs> then he goes to the thesaurus, and every single word was check, 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 check. And he, like, I think now he's comfortable with it. He's, he's owning it. You know, something I'm comfortable with is the fact that we've got not only Austin Cleon here, we also have a discussion about crypto and about, um, well, some Yay. some weirdness in the crypto market. We're going to talk about that. But first, before all that, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. 
Well, you know, when I think about Navy Federal, I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. want to say a special shout out to uh, my nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Austin Cleon waiting in the wings, so let's get you a headline. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins Headlines. Our headline today comes to us from uh, cultofmoney.com. This is written by our friend Miranda Marquit. And I thought this was an interesting piece, OG. How correlated are cryptocurrencies to the stock market? Miranda writes, one reason cryptocurrencies have seen a surge in popularity is that they are seen as distinct from traditional financial markets. In fact, many crypto investors tout how digital value is uncorrelated to the stock market and point to it as a way to add asset diversity to an investment portfolio. This piece, and if people want to dive into it, we'll link to it in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. But OG, as the stock market has declined and hasn't been in lockstep, the same decline in most cryptos. But with the established coins, it appears, based on what Miranda writes here, that there is more correlation over time as these coins get more established. And the investors are moving in and out of crypto similarly to the way they move in and out of the stock market. Are you seeing that on your end? Uh, Well, I haven't really paid any attention to whether or not... um crypto is correlated to the stock market, but largely the inflows of money came from the fact that there was extra money lying around. So the fact that that money is starting to dry up makes sense that you're seeing some downward pressure on on those things because people aren't taking the flyer, quote-unquote, investments like they used to because all of the extra stimulus money and you know all that extra cash that was kind of pumped into the economy is not there anymore. So it makes sense that it's going down also in conjunction with all the other stuff, right? Because people are using, we talked on Monday about inflation. So people are having to use some of that money for expenses. You know, what was their, God forbid, cash reserve in Bitcoin is now being- <laughs> Cash reserve you know, in Bitcoin. <laughs> Sorry. You know, used up and that sort of thing. So- yeah, I mean, it's hard to have a correlation uh, matrix on something that's been around for like four or five years. Well, and that's the difficulty that as I read this piece, I thought, you know, when you look at modern portfolio theory and the way that people put portfolios together, they do it based on historical data and how things historically have moved. And I would imagine for a financial planner, an investor enters into a relationship with an advisor who's going to help them get diversified. 
you don't have any of that data, OG, to decide how is this going to act versus other, other asset classes. Now, I'll give you an example of that. In my portfolios, I would often put just a little bit of precious metals, just a little bit, because I found that precious metals or natural, natural resources were like a pepper. You know, it was just a little, a little differentiation in that portfolio that even though it's an asset class that moves erratically, it would tend to calm portfolios down in some markets. We knew from past performance what metals were going to do in a portfolio. I don't think, I don't think we know with crypto. Well, yeah, we. I mean, we don't. But and, it is a coin, and, so it's metal, so right? So it it's, could it's do the, a coin, of okay. course. Yeah. Yeah, of course, so, I mean, I metal. like the, I like the approach. I think it's, you should apply it's, it. It's it's got to be metal. It right. says coin, right? A little picture, even. Yeah, I mean, set aside for the moment that there's still some debate as to whether or not it's an actual investment or you know what is this tool in and of itself. But um, yeah, there's just not enough. It has no intrinsic value. There, it doesn't produce an income. So. It's pure speculation, and I think you have to treat it as such. If somebody comes into your office, they have a million dollars now in uh, crypto. I don't think those people really exist. <laughs> I've never met any. It's always it's always the friend of the friend. Uh, a friend of mine, a buddy of mine. I, I know this one guy. Never actually seen anybody's Coinbase account that says two million. Yeah, never seen it. And ha- allegedly, I, I agree that it probably exists, but. I've seen 401k statements that say 3 million or 5 million or whatever, right? I've just never seen a Coinbase account that says, you know, it's like the person who says, I remember this story one time when I was in Michigan and I talked to this, this guy who worked at an auto manufacturer in Detroit and uh, he was puffing his chest out all the time about how, how great of a stock picker he was. And he said, I bought my company stock when it was under a dollar a share. And I said, well, congratulations on being retired. And he said, what? I'm not retired. That's why I'm here. And I said, uh, well, I mean, if you bought $200,000 worth of your company stock when it was under a dollar and now it's trading at $10, I can only imagine that you have two and a half million dollars. Oh, well, I mean, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't put all the money in. Oh, well, how much did you buy? Like five grand. It's like, okay, stop. <laughs> you didn't put all your money. You didn't, you said, I put all my money in my, in, you know, in my company stock at a dollar you know, people remember the things that they do well. They don't remember all the negatives that come with it. So I, I have a sneaky suspicion that there's a lot of that in the crypto world. That it's like, oh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I bought, I bought Bitcoin when it was like a dollar of coin. It's like, okay, cool. And how much do you have now? Well, I mean, I sold it when it was a dollar fifty, but, but I bought it when it was a dollar. <laughs> you know, it's like, so I don't want to throw shade on people who really did it, but I've yet to see it. I've heard about it. But is it also the reason you haven't seen it too? You also see the fact that a lot of the people that are investing in crypto have a distrust of financial advisors. And over the last several years, financial advisors poo-pooing the crypto game even more. And in fact, we're going to have a TikTok minute coming up in a couple of weeks, OG, that you sent me about a dude who's just going off on a financial planner because... uh, he thinks he doesn't understand crypto. Like, like I feel like there's a there's there's this. I mean, I, I I readily say that I don't understand it, but I don't understand it in the context of of it doesn't do anything yet. And I understand that there also is a little bit of a leap of faith where you say, well, but now's the time to get in on it when you don't, you know, that sort of thing. But in the context of I'm planning my retirement, 
I am not comfortable yet with saying, and so therefore you should have X percent of your portfolio in Bitcoin because it's just not, it's not a proven, doesn't have a proven track record yet. I mean, it's a big risk. But Joe, a few minutes ago, you were talking about how you used to have, whether it was uh, natural resources or precious metals or something in a portfolio. And it acted as, this is me interpreting what you said. It acted almost like a mitigating factor or a hedging, you know, it, it created a different profile in that portfolio. Are you thinking that crypto could do the same thing? No, I'm just saying that there's not enough data. Like like people compare uh, cryptos to the new coins, right? Yeah. But if you take the old precious metals, that has a long history, so we know what to do with it in well, a portfolio. Sure. But it, w- there's a degree of predictability. My only point was you can't really do that with crypto because there is no predictability. Absolutely. In fact, what Miranda writes that's interesting is – is that early in the days of crypto, there was no correlation. Like You could not find any correlation. Now that we have five years of data, to OG's point, over five years of data, what we're finding, what she's finding is, and this is interesting, and I'd love to see more pieces on this, that the longer more established cryptos go on, the more established a crypto becomes, the more it is appearing that is correlating with the stock market. So you'll take a, you'll take a brand new coin and there's mm. not much correlation as, as the coin gets more established and more people own it and it gets out there more Bitcoin and Ethereum being the big two, you find that these coins are increasingly as they have different and unique ownerships correlate closer to the yeah, stock. I market. would think that's more an indication of human behavior and our own emotional approach to investing than it does with any real value that that thing in this case, crypto has to OG's point a minute ago, it still doesn't do anything. It has no, right. it has no purpose or, or um, I'll say tangible value that we know of yet. And uh, other than buying Mavs gear at, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not much that, so I think that's only, if something sticks around long enough, we're going to start treating it like we know everything else about our investment portfolio. But we do. But what's but interesting so- is, is that you have other investments that don't act like the stock market. Like we know that real estate acts in X way. We know that art will act a certain way. We, we know that farmland acts a certain way. We, we know that these investments act differently than the stock market and don't have hundred percent correlation. But we also, we also now are seeing maybe evidence that, uh, that crypto correlates a lot more than people that say, Hey, there's no correlation. Uh, it appears you're not right. It appears that there may end up being increasing correlation as we find utility for this stuff. Well, because again, because it's so, I think anyways, because it's so much more of a speculative type of thing. So you're going to see a lot more fluctuation I don't see people using it as the long-term stabilizer that you used, you know, precious metal for. It's if you got that, that I was saying, add crypto to your portfolio to stabilize no, no, no. it out of my discussion. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying <laughs> Please. <laughs> no, I de- no, I didn't say that. I didn't hear that either. But I'm say- what I'm saying is, is that I don't see people using it as that. And so if it's on the risk return spectrum, it's on you know, the far side of risk and return, then it has to, you know, match similarly to other things that are up there, like small company stocks and yeah, you know, big company stocks. E- even, so, even micro company stocks. So depending on your risk profile for your overall portfolio, you might add this in to help, comp- let's say you have a 18% high risk 
component of your portfolio, this might be part of that 18% instead of maybe some SMB or emerging markets or something like that. No, I don't think so. No. No, I, I don't totally think so. got it wrong. Yeah, do you think so, OG? I, I don't count crypto as an investment whatsoever. Yeah, I it's, was thinking the same thing. Okay, not and the least it, bit. It, I mean, I know there's people that do. Yeah, and I agree with Kevin Rose when he came on the show. And OG, you mentioned this earlier that that getting into things when they have huge volatility like crypto has had is when it is when the money's made. So if you want to get into crypto, get into crypto while it's still the wild west, but certainly don't get into it with grandma's money that you need as a cash reserve. I mean, we all started laughing. We said somebody using their, their crypto as their cash reserve is ridiculous, but while it has huge volatility and it's speculative, why not dollar cost average some money into it? Like why, why wouldn't you do that with quote extra money? But as we're seeing the extra money dry up, OG to your point, seeing the extra money dry up, we're starting to see some correlation that, oh, you know what? I'm I'm treating my buys and my sells much like I do with the stock market now, uh, well, increasingly people, leading and, and, you to correlation. But yeah, I would not, Doug, I would not see it yet as a piece of a portfolio I'm putting together because well, of the fact that I don't understand what it's going to do. But if you're if you're suggesting I could put some of my money into this thing, that's immediately part of my portfolio. Whether it's wrapped up in you know in a Schwab account or something so like that or not, your, it's still part of my personal sure, investment but it's part portfolio. Of your, you know, you have a part of your portfolio that we call the sandbox, and with the sandbox, okay. I don't even I don't even put that in the asset allocation. The sandbox that's just stuff that I like. So I would put it is. I would put the crypto in my sandbox and go. You know what? That's my play money. That is my, I'm going to get rich money. But the sandbox is still in my backyard and it's still part of my real estate portfolio. It's on, it's that I own. It is, it is. But when I'm, <laughs> but when I'm putting together my asset allocation for my retirement plan, I'm not saying, Hey, your Ethereum is going to be 30% of your portfolio that we're going to count on to get you to retirement. We're not going to count at all for retirement. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, gee, is that what you're thinking? Well, yeah, a hundred percent. There is some people out there who are doing it that way. Who are saying I'm counting on this for, you know, all of my retirement. I just, I just, there's just not enough evidence yet to suggest that that's going to produce a positive outcome over a long period of time. You know, I know what large big tech companies do over a long period of time. I know what small international companies do over a long period of time. So I can put those things together to produce an outcome that I need. You know, when we think about retirement planning, I only have so many resources. Financial planning is super easy if you've got $10 million a year of cash flow and you only need to live on $100,000 a year. It's super easy. You'll never run out of money. You can invest in whatever the hell you want to invest in and you won't screw it up. But for most people, you have some sort of limitation. Either you have a limitation on time or you have a limitation on your savings ability. And so you have to solve for what does the money have to do in order to reach my goal. So I know that I'm 44. I know that I want to retire when I'm 60. I know what my spending is today, and I want to emulate that into retirement. I have an idea of what inflation might be, you know, um, over time anyway, <laughs> maybe, you know. But over time, I've got, uh, you know, we can count the 70s. I have that info, right? So I could figure out, okay, I need this bucket of money the day I turn 60 to fund my retirement. And I have this much today, and I can commit these dollars, so the only missing variable in there is how much does the money have to grow? And I think all too often people will solve for, well, I can save 500 a month. Okay. Well, so what, what, what does it have to do? Does, do you have to get 9% in your money or do you have to get 14? 
because 14 is not doable. There, there is no plan in the universe that allows you to get four. Now you might get it, but you can't plan on it. It just doesn't, it's just not repeatable. So, you know, so we solve for, okay, I need to get 9% a year. Well, now what collection of things are likely to have me reach my goal with, you know, getting a 9% return annually over time with the least amount of variability. And um, Bitcoin doesn't fold into that yet. There's just not enough data to say that this is going to happen. The other thing I would say about crypto is that you're seeing the impact of what happens when things don't go exactly the way that you think. Everybody likes upside volatility. You know, when a when a stock goes up or a Bitcoin goes up 300% in three weeks, people are like, that's awesome. I'm such a great stock picker. I'm such a great crypto buyer. It's like, well, you know, there's two sides of that pendulum. You know, when you, you remember those, uh, those uh, physics experiments that you'd have with the, with the little metal ball things and you'd hit one side and, you know, it transfer all the energy to the other side and like, you know what I'm talking Price about? It's opposite reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that it's exactly opposite, but, but it's kind of feels like it should be, you know, if you get plus 300 in a year, you got to assume that you're going to get, I can't get minus 300, I guess, but you know, you got to get an equivalent downside. So, so people are recognizing in real time that they, they really like the upside volatility, but don't like the downside volatility. And that's how you win the investing game. You have to know in advance, what is your breaking point and where are you going to blow up your own plan? And if you can figure out in advance, I don't like this. So I'm going to create a solution for myself that makes it so I never blow up. Then you've won. You figured it out. Well, people just throw stuff against the wall and and then are surprised by the fact that, oh, this thing went down 40% in four hours? What the heck? It's like, well, what could you expect it to do? And that, by the way, is not us crapping on crypto. It is. Well, you could say the same thing about like Tesla stock. It's the same thing. You know, I mean, it's gone up. It's great. It's awesome. It's gone up a crap load. And, and so when it went from like 1100 down to 850 in the span of three weeks, people were like, oh my God, what's going on? It's like, how could you expect anything different? It went from 600 to 1200 in a year. It, it has the propensity to do that. I'm not suggesting that it's going to. I'm just saying that it has the capability of doing it. So you got to recognize what you're throwing into the soup, so to speak. Joe thinks he's sprinkling in a little pepper and really <laughs> it's uh, like sriracha. And I'll surprise some wasabi a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Do not eat the pistachio ice cream. <laughs> It'll be interesting to see as we continue to get more data and as crypto coins get bigger, exactly what the correlation ends up being. But I thought that was, uh, was an interesting piece by uh, Ms. Marquit. And we'll link to it on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. And of course, Brooke Miller in our awesome newsletter, the 201 is going to have deep dives into many other crypto related conversations that we found and that we love that can take that discussion to the next level. Hey, coming up next, Austin Cleon is uh, not only a guy that I have just so much respect for, he is a New York Times bestselling author of a book called Steal Like an Artist, another book I like called Show Your Work. And a third, which is keep going. Austin has been on the show a couple times. And now it's hard to believe, OG, but it is the 10th anniversary of Steel Like an Artist. It, it doesn't seem like it's been that long. And uh, people that are longtime listeners to the show know how much I love that book. It's one of your favorite 
Favorite book? Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, I feel like it's right behind E-Myth. <laughs> it, is, it is right there with the E-Myth and maybe with Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Maybe that's the triumph. So you've read three books in your life. That's, that's what I'm hearing. That's, that's pretty much it. Well, you know, they don't have many uh, pictures. He read three books 300 times. <laughs> yes. That's why he's so good. Yes. What do you need after you have Steel Like an Artist? You don't need another book. And plus, right. people that have seen it know it's not that big a book. It's a very small book. You can read it, you can read it fairly quickly. It's not an aloof book. It is not. <laughs> it's very approachable. So he's here with us. But as a way to get there, uh, I believe, speaking of art, uh, Doug, you may have some art-related trivia for us today. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. We're celebrating the 10th anniversary of Steal Like an Artist. Some people steal from artists. Did you know someone stole the Mona Lisa from the Louvre? In 1911, if you go visit it today, you'll notice it's behind a layer of thick plexiglass they are seriously not removing. I mean, how serious are they? Yeah, they didn't even remove it for Beyonce when she filmed a music video there. I mean, oceans have parted for this woman, but they were not moving that plexiglass. Now that is serious. So my question is, how much do you think the Mona Lisa is worth? Is it 900 million, 1 billion, or 1.5 billion? I'll be back with the answer after I go put some plexiglass over my art hanging on the fridge. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now... Because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. 
Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Hey there, stackers. I'm accomplished cat burglar and undervalued sandwich artist, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. According to Kunis.com, the Mona Lisa was insured for $100 million in 1962, earning it the Guinness World Record for highest ever insurance value in the art market. Today, though, the Mona Lisa is estimated to be worth a cool $900 million. And now, let's say hello to a guy who can help turn your life into art, Austin Cleon. And coming down the stairs to mom's basement, I'm so happy he's back. Mr. Austin Cleon is here. Look at, we cleaned up for you, man. It smells good in here. Did you guys get some new candles? It's, uh, it's nice in here. Candles and Febreze. Febreze does wonders. Okay, yeah. That's good. That's good. No, it smells good in here. I'm cozy. It's good to be back. I've been wondering this for a while. Take me back to, to you know, Steal Like an Artist, which is why we're here for the 10th anniversary. Congratulations, by the way. Thank on you. having a book that you can celebrate 10 years on. But let's go back before that. Your first book, I think, was Newspaper Blackout, right? That's right. Uh, Newspaper Blackout came out in 2010. Tell me about writing that first book. Because my understanding is you were working a full-time job and really had to put that together kind of in your spare time. Yeah, actually, both of my first two books, uh, I had day jobs when I put them together. So Newspaper Blackout, I actually sold in 2008 um, to Harper Perennial. And then that book is kind of a hard one because I was trying to make all new poems that that book probably should have just been the greatest hits of stuff that I'd already done. But I was trying to make all new poems and had like six months to do it. And so that book is sort of like a first album from a band that it's like, it's rough, <laughs> but like, you can kind of see where they're going. I mean, this is self aggrandizing, but I'm like, you know, newspaper blackout is kind of like bleach and like still like an artist is like, never mind, you know, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. Um, but I was working two different jobs, actually. The, the newspaper blackout came together when I was a web designer. And if people haven't seen the newspaper blackouts, it looks like if the CIA did haiku. Uh, yeah. I basically take an article from the New York Times. I just black out most of it and just leave a few words behind. So that book came out. You know, it's a book of poetry. It's all fine for a book of poetry, but I did what every other poet does is you keep your day job. What's really funny is that I used the marketing that I'd done for Newspaper Blackout to get a job as a copywriter. That was like part of my portfolio after that came out. So I went into the advertising world and then that's when I wrote Steal Like an Artist. So yeah, I wrote both of those books while I had a day job. Well, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I was watching this, uh, this video of a Google Talk that you gave. And somebody <laughs> at the end of that, Austin, they asked at the end a great question, which is, you know, people, we don't think we're creative, especially money nerds don't think they're that creative. And I think there needs to be a lot of creativity in your planning, which is why I love talking to you. Because I think we don't exercise enough creativity when we think about all we can be and all we can do. But this guy asked you, he said, um, so how do you make time for it? How do, you, how do you make time? And my thought when he was asking that, I'm like, well, it's creativity. You, you just look around you. But you didn't answer that way. You said it's all about time management. The creativity truly is 
about good time management skills and, and expand on that for me. Cause that really caught me by surprise. Well, time is sort of the material that every artist has to work with. Like time really is the material of life, really. I, I mean, life unfolds in time. And so it makes sense in this way that it's really your primary resource. I usually tell people that, you know, good work is the result of time, space, and materials. You know, you find the time to work, you find the right space to work in, and then you find the right materials to do your work with. But time is something that you can't get around because every it just takes time to make stuff. And, you know, you always think like, oh, these artists, they must live these free lives and just do whatever they want all the time. It's like, well, actually, if you study a lot of artists, they have incredibly rigid routines and structures to their day, and they work all the time. And they are just very, very routine with it. What I discovered early on and has served me well is that you don't actually need huge blocks of time to work. What you need is you need like a decent block of time every day. And that will serve you better over time as like having six months to work on something. It's better. I I would trade an hour a day for six months Versus having a whole six months, in a sense, like, you know, because there's just something about showing up every day and working, and then the repetition of that and the way that that accumulates over time, that I think is more powerful than having just these huge blocks of, of time. Is that because you get to exercise the muscle and because the muscle builds on muscle? I think so. It'd be like, you know, if you, I, I do think there's a certain muscle memory involved in making art and that. I do think that exercise can be very instructive to creative work because, you know, you try to do like 50 push-ups right now. If you've never done push-up, like that's going to be rough on you. You're not going to actually, you're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> but if you just try to do five push-ups and then you do five push-ups for a week and then next week you try to do six push-ups, you know, that eventually yeah. you'll get to 50. And that is actually, I think, very instructive for creative work is if you sit down and try to, paint the Sistine Chapel, you know, it's just not going to work. But if you sit down and say, well, I'm going to try to like do a painting on a post-it note every day, that adds up over time. And I I think what's kind of cool about today is that you can kind of make, I I hate the word content, but you can, (laughs) you can kind of make smaller pieces and we're such a daily culture now with social media and stuff like that can work really well. Like you could definitely like start building a career just by making one thing a day and putting it out. This is funny because people don't expect this rigidity that you're talking about. You think of artists, you think of this free flowing day, wake up at noon. Right. And as, as you're pointing out, yeah. not the case, but another thing that's not the case that really seemed counterintuitive. I remember 10 years ago when I first read steel, like an artist, is this idea of being boring, right? You have a whole section of your book about, about being boring. And we think of creativity. We don't think of boring, Austin. We think of, you know, unicorns and rainbows. Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm reading this uh, book about David Hockney. Hockney, the great painter, of course, was talking about Bohemia. He was talking about like Paris and that the Picasso era of Paris, like in the, the early 20th century, where it's like everyone was in cafes and you know, uh, smoking cigarettes and and drinking and bashing out what modern art should be or whatever. 
But Hockney made the really good point. He's like, you know, Picasso did go to the cafe every night, but he's like, he actually went home by like nine or 10 o'clock because he went <laughs> to bed and then he had to get up early and work. It's funny when you dig into a lot of these artists, Flaubert said it the best. He said, you have to be regular and orderly in your life so you can be violent and original in your work. Hmm. And so there was this sense that like, it's it's having a structure to your life in which you can show up and and do that crazy work. But it's just funny. I mean, like a lot of artists, their lives are pretty repetitive. They're in the studio, they're in the office, they're, you know, a writer, for example, it's like, well, it's a lot of times sitting on your butt in front of a computer. (laughs) (laughs) You had almost, speaking of work, you had almost a million people watch uh, your TEDx video, TEDx Kansas City. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering about the process of putting together something that's such a one-off, like a TEDx. You you know, you're not known for cranking out TED videos. Uh, (laughs) uh, Tell me about being creative there when you've got so many people that can inspire you. Did you watch other TED videos? Did you dive into other people's work? Did you steal like an artist? You know, I find a couple of things very instructive. So when I was younger... Before I kind of had a speaking career, I spent a lot of time going to talks and drawing Mm. them. So I spent a lot of time drawing people who were talking and also trying to like listen for their little sound bites. And I would kind of like make these diagrams. And if you go back in my blog, you can find these drawings of speakers I had made with all these diagrams of their talk around them. And so I think in a sense, that was me studying other speakers and writers and people when I was coming up. And then the other thing that I find really instructive for speaking, I don't like watching other speakers as much as I love watching stand-up comedians. And it's not because I want to be funny on stage. It's because stand-up is the closest thing to me that's interesting and fun that's close to giving a talk on stage. And I'm really fascinated by the way that comedians structure their material, how they're improvisational based on what's going on in the audience. And I'm like, for example, I'll give you a really concrete example. I love the callback. I love in comedy where someone will make a joke and then 10 minutes later they call back to that joke and they're establishing this repetition until you get to the end and then they do the great callback. And again, the more you try to be funny, the less funnier you're going to be. So again, I look to it for things more like structure and technique than I do for like how to be funny on stage. But but yeah, but when it came to that TED talk, I'm trying to remember, I think that TED talk was kind of just like, it was kind of just a version of the talk I was giving at the time. I didn't actually think much of that when I did it because it wasn't like the main TED stage or anything. I think it was filmed in Kansas City at the, um, the great museum there, which I'm blanking on. It was just kind of a one-off thing, and then, you know, it goes up on the TED site, and a million people watch it, and you think, gosh, I would have done a better job if I had known (laughs) all these people were going to watch it. (laughs) I don't know. I thought it was a great job. I dress better. (laughs) I want to, as a way of segue, I want to play the open of that talk, because you make a good point here from uh, Steal Like an Artist. Let's let's listen in to you back in Kansas City. So there's a story about the composer Igor Stravinsky. Stravinsky was about to start a new ballet, but instead of starting completely from scratch, he pulled out some of his favorite classic manuscripts, and he got out his red pen, 
and he started correcting the scores as if it was his own music. And he borrowed bass lines and melodies from the famous works, but he composed his own harmonies and rhythms underneath that work. And when the ballet came out, critics were outraged. They said, how dare you do this to the classics? Leave the classics alone. And you know Stravinsky's reply? He said, you respect, but I love. I love that. I love that open, Austin. And I think that right away you nail this idea that we get it wrong, right? That love means that we borrow from it, that we, we don't borrow from the classics enough. Yeah, that's good. I should put that back in my talk, actually. I never tell that story anymore, and it's really good. I've forgotten about it. I love it. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like, there's a writer named Lewis Hyde who wrote a book called The Gift that was really influential on me early on. And one of the things that Hyde says is, like, you know, we're all brought to our work, most of us, from the work of others. You know, you want to become a writer because you read something and you're like, well, I want to do this, you know, or you become a musician because you see prints and you're like, I'd like to do that, you know, whatever it is. And so this idea that I, I think what's really powerful about the word love, I'm thinking of a couple of things. But the the thing I like the most about the word love is that when you borrow or steal from things that you genuinely love, there's an authenticity to it. Jim Jarmusch says, you know, you steal from anything that speaks directly to your soul. So Mm -hmm. that's actually a pretty good rubric. If you steal from things that you genuinely love, that's a really good way to do it. That's a way to know that you're sort of going in the right direction. Although the older I get, the more I realize that it's really stuff that you can stuff. It doesn't matter whether it's good or bad or whether you love or hate it. You can steal something from anything. Um, you know, there's always something to steal from someone. And I, I, you know, people ask me about that word all the time. They're like, you know, why you have to use the word steal? And I always say, well, you know, it's because I'm not very original. I mean, the only reason I use the word steal is because all these other people have used it before. But the one thing I like about the word steal is that I think it's a form of attention. I always feel like if you're always on the lookout for stuff to steal, you're like a cat burglar or a jewel thief or something. You, you're you're always casing the joint. And so it's a, it's a particular style of attention in which you assume that there's something to steal in almost every situation. The same way that people will say, oh, well, there's something to learn from everyone, Right. Yeah. If you assume that everyone has something to steal, then you pay attention to them. And it's a way of being in the world that I think, you know, it keeps you alive and alert to the world. And that's the kind of attention that an artist needs to really pay in order to be good. Well, well, I think isn't... it's a way also, though, and, and, and not to cut you off there, but I also think it's a better way to live in the moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of our fans are planners and they're thinking about their money in the future that they check out it today. And man, if I'm looking for stuff to steal, I'm here right now looking around. Yeah, I mean, planning, it's tough because I'm a planner. I like to plan ahead and try to like map things out. But one of the really fun things about looking back on Steal Like an Artist is just how little I had planned. I mean, there's actually a blackout poem in the back of the book that I put in the afterword. And it says something like, uh, starting out, I don't think I had a plan. I was just making it up and the what ifs began to become real. And so it's kind of like 
when I look back on it now, it seems inevitable. All great art, anything good seems inevitable when it arrives because if it's good, it, it feels like it's always been here, you know? So if you think of like some of your favorite movies or favorite artworks or music, it feels like it's fully formed, like it must have just appeared. But when you dig into the story of a lot of the stuff, you realize just how almost arbitrary a lot of the decisions were that it could have gone any direction. When people talk about multiple universes in terms of like physics and stuff, I'm really interested in this idea that the reason that there are multiple universes is that in this particular moment, there are so many possibilities for how you could act that there literally are a million universes in front of you because it could go a million different ways, you know? And so that idea that, that there are parallel universes, it's really real when you think about being in the moment and how many different ways things could go. Um, and so I think that actually jams up a lot of people when they first get started because there's too many decisions to make. There's, oh, I could do this, I could be this, I could do this, whatever. And the most important thing when you're first starting out is to just choose some constraints and just go with it and see what happens. You know, and that's another message of Steel Like an Artist is you don't wait until you have a good plan or or you feel like you know what you're going to do. You just pick some constraints and you try to make something out of those constraints. I'm uh, contractually obligated because this ostensibly is a money show. I'm not sure that it really oh, is, but, but but believe it or not, it is. <sighs> You know, yes. and a lot of <laughs> and a lot of your lessons we bring back to financial topics, but you have one of your maxims in Steal Like an Artist, which is specifically about money, and that is stay out of debt. Why did stay out of debt make it to Steal Like an Artist? I think for me, and I just I don't know if it's still true. I mean, I always felt like I was always inspired by artists uh, like Bill Cunningham, the photographer, who said, look, if you don't take their money, they can't tell you what to do. I always took that to heart, whether it was from my parents or like from school or, or what, I, I felt like there's a real freedom in being financially, you know, free, I guess. <laughs> there's a creative <laughs> freedom in financial freedom, I guess, is what I'm, you know, yeah. financial freedom really leads to creative freedom, because when you don't have to worry about, you know, where the money's coming from, you can really do whatever you want creatively. Now, that said, sometimes financial difficulty has been the, you know, the taser in the back of <laughs> many an artist. <laughs> I grew up with a dad who was very good with money. He he was a state worker, didn't never made that much, but held on to it. And he just always taught me, he's like, look, if you always live below your means, you're always gonna be okay. Like you just you just live below your means and you'll you'll do all right. And I that's an ethos for me. It's it's how I've lived my whole life, even when I achieved the kind of success I really hadn't dreamed of. I mean, I'm not living in Malibu or driving a Tesla, but you know, I'm you know, I'm doing all right now. I'm doing what I want to do and it's always served me well. And of course, the tricky thing about that is there's another right after that is the Mary Well <laughs> section. And um that has been I had a professor actually in college who told me, you know, the two things couples don't talk about that I think they need to talk more about is whether you're going to live in the city or the country, 
and whether you're going to spend a lot of money or save a lot of money. If you're going to be like more blue collar with your money or you're going to be more like upper middle class and spendy or whatever. Yeah. And I think that's really true. I think in my own marriage, I was wonderfully, you know, we're both from the middle class, but we we almost had parents who had more like blue collar attitudes to money. So that served us well because we got married very young and we didn't have a lot, but we we've always been cool with living below our means. I love the theme that it buys you flexibility. Yeah. I was looking through this book for something that I hadn't seen before because I feel like I've been up and down and all over this book for the last 10 years. But one thing that I that always escaped me was the acknowledgments in the back and some of the books that you had that inspired you. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about these books because you mentioned them, but you don't really talk about them. So I'm going to ask you just about a few of them. You Right off the top, the top book you list is Linda Berry, and it's a book called What It Is. Mm-hmm. Linda Berry is my hero. Uh, Linda Berry was an alternative cartoonist for several decades. She wrote and drew a comic called Ernie Pook's Comique that ran in a bunch of alternative papers. And then by the time I met Linda, uh, there was a writer in Cleveland named Dan Sean who taught at Oberlin. I had drawn Dan at a talk, like we talked about. I went and drew him at a reading, and I put it on my blog, and then he saw it, of course, because when you draw people, they they see it. And there's something about being drawn that I think people really like. And she said, and Dan said, you made me look like a Linda Berry character. And I said, who's Linda Berry? And he just like, I could, I mean, I didn't see him roll his eyes, but I could tell. It's like. You could feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And. She said, well, she's coming to Oberlin, so you need to come see her. She came to Oberlin, and she didn't... What it is wasn't there yet, but she she read from this book called Cruddy, which is her novel. It's an illustrated novel. And just watching her read and watching her talk to the audience, and then we went to the bar for about an hour later, it just changed my life. I said, I want to be like this. This is like what I want to be, you know? I just... Because Linda, and this is, I'm not the only person who's had this experience. Linda kind of exudes this magical hippie energy. I was just like, this person has unlocked something for me. And specifically, this is a person who uses pictures and words and thinks about pictures and words the way I do, that they should be together. And so then I had been following her and her workshops. I watched what it is become what it is because I was so obsessed with her that was following her so closely. And every time she published something new that became what it is. And then what, when what it is came out, um, I think it came out in like 2006, maybe it just was everything that, you know, it was just her philosophy of creativity in this book. And it's an insane looking book. It's really hard for people to get into because it's, it's all collage and it's all Mm. this kind of wild mess of a book. But, um, whether Linda likes it or not, she inspired me and still inspires me to this day. Like I consider her like my primary artistic hero. And then uh, let's talk about one more. How about Hugh McLeod, uh, Ignore Everybody? I found that an interesting title. Oh, yeah, Hugh. Um, Hugh's another cartoonist. I mean, there's a bunch of cartoonists on that list. When I, 
when I first started out, I like kind of wanted to be a cartoonist and then it kind of wasn't enough for me. Like I wanted to do other things and I wasn't really interested in doing a web comic and I wasn't really interested in trying to be like a newspaper cartoonist. And I didn't even really want to do like graphic novels. I, I was just really interested in books with pictures in them and like what you could do with that. So when you read my books now, if you think about it in terms of how much cartooning and comics I was looking at, that makes sense. Hugh has been a good friend to me. I met him very early. Ignore Everybody was sort of a proto-steal like an artist in a way. It was more tilted towards a a little bit more business book-ish than Steal Like an Artist, but a lot of the same message about creativity. And Hugh was living, I think when that book came out, Hugh was living in Marfa. And so we met and became friends and we're still friends. And um, what a wild town, by the way, Marfa, Marfa in the middle of, yeah. in the middle of nowhere and just amazing. Yeah. Marfa's like Austin. It's just kind of like become this whole thing. Yeah. So yeah, that's another, but these people, you know, I have just been incredibly lucky. I mean, I could stop the sentence there, but I've just been really lucky that I just met the right people at the right time. I just kind of like found these people who were kind of like models for me. You know, Hugh's the person that taught me about newsletters. You know, Hugh told me 10 years ago, he said, you got to start a newsletter. He's like, I have a newsletter and it's bigger than South by Southwest. Hmm. You know, it's more people than South by Southwest. You just got to do it. You know, it's like stuff like that. When I'm talking to younger people now about mentors, I'm like, you know, you kind of have to do good work for them to show up. You can't really like ask them to mentor you. You you have to be someone who's helpful to them already. I always feel like, you know, with my mentors, it was like, well, I'm already doing work that's kind of interesting. And that's why they'll even talk to me in the first place. Yeah. And this is one of Hugh's lines. <laughs> one of the best lines in that book, I think, is, you know, the best way to get approval is to not need it. <laughs> it's so um, true. And Hugh's another person who's a copywriter. So he's very good at pithy one-liners. Like he was always like really good at that stuff. The other Hugh McLeod truism that I love is the market for something to believe in is infinite. That people will pay to believe in things and they will pay to watch people believe in themselves. That's a, that's a Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth quote that people will show up to pay to watch people believe in themselves. There's so much power in just such a simple sentence. And by the way, that's the that's the spirit of this book. And I think that's why Steal Like an Artist, my friend, has been around for 10 years. So Steal Like an Artist, the new edition, a hardcover edition, available everywhere, I think, right? Everywhere books are sold. That's right. Online and in person. Thank you so much for including us again on the book tour and talking about creativity. I absolutely love and we get to spend time together, my friend. It's been a pleasure. I love what you've done with the place and I hope to return soon. <laughs> it's all for breeze. <laughs> hey, I'm Mr. Wow. And I'm Mrs. Wow from Waffles on Wednesday. And when we're not eating waffles, we're stacking Benjamins. Big thanks to Austin for coming back. OG, books have a 10-year anniversary printing for a reason. If you think you're not creative in your life and you think that... Uh, you just don't have it inside of you. It's all around you. Just riff off the stuff around you. 
which which turns this stuff that we think is difficult into very easy so much easier just take what you love make it yours which gets rid of this thing i feel like we all feel like we need to be unique you know like i need you know i need my retirement to be uniquely mine i need it to be no talk to lots of people about what they do collaborate figure out you know what uh that sounds like a great trip that you took i would do this i wouldn't do that wow your retirement adventure how did that go oh i mean i feel like a great retirement plan is about surveying a lot of people about what worked for them and then you take the pieces that are you there's so much there's so much that we can do i think to make things more fun more valuable more us by just talking to other people about what they do so it's not always just about art it's about having a better life we don't have arguments about like recreating somebody's uh, chocolate cake or using a recipe it's like hey I, I i made this it's really good can i have your recipe or you watch something on youtube and you're like that looks delicious i'm gonna do that and yet anything else we worry about like well i don't i want to do that it's copying somebody else did it no absolutely copy it Hey, uh, today we're going to magnify somebody's money, OG. Today's listener question comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. You know what happens when you go to stackybedjamins.com slash magnifymoney? Are you asking me? I am asking you. Oh, well, you usually ask Doug, so I just kind of tuned it out. Uh, what I've noticed happens? that um, you've started not asking me. What, are you taking it personally? Hell yes, I'm taking it personally. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, mean, I know exactly what you get because I pay attention and uh, have used Magnify Money many, 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 many times trying to get really good banking products. And hey, interest rates are going higher. So if you have uh, some credit card debt, you probably want to look at it. And if your bank, by the way, is not keeping up, time to look especially. StackyBenjamins.com slash Magnify Money is where you'll find over 92% of the products available online, all ranked head-to-head, whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, CDs maybe coming back with interest rates coming back. Hopefully been a long time since we've seen a CD that was worth, worth much stackybedjamins.com slash magnified money for more. You know, today we're going to go to the basement Facebook group. We are recording ahead because of the fact that uh, I've got some travel coming up in my schedule. And so because of that, weird, we could use more, more questions. Do you only travel so that you have stuff to talk about when you come back to the show? Well, if I talk about on the, if I talk about it on the show, then I can rate the whole trip off. That's that's, that's the deal. <laughs> it's a write off. It becomes a business success. Send, uh, did you guys get all that? Did you get that? Dante, <laughs> got the execute, execute, execute. Swarm, swarm. Got the IRS agents on that one. We should was, have. Did, was I supposed to say that with my inside voice? <laughs> Uh, copy that. We heard everything. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm not going on a vacation. I'm going on a vacation. Oh, you're going on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so we could use more calls to the basement, stackybedjamins.com slash voicemail, and you'll be very close to the head of the class. But not only could we use more questions, I I was... Very excited to see a conversation in our basement Facebook group that uh, Matt brought up. A listener, Matt, said in the show we mentioned recently, grocery store rewards program. We were talking about saving money on gas. And he said a lot of people in his family use the same number. So it logs everybody's purchases. So instead of having a bunch of separate numbers, they log everybody's in the same. 
But here's the deal. Then the discounts hit, and it's also a game of like roulette to see, to see if you who's can, standing at the pump when it hits. If you get all the money, if you get all the money or not. I thought that was great. And Scott chimed in and saying that uh, five people, five families in his family do the do the same thing, and it just sounds like fun. It takes this money thing. But listen to what Glenn said. He said, "Here's a tip," and he's used it several times. You know, when you go into these places and you don't know the loyalty the loyalty card. They're like, do you have the loyalty card for the local grocery store? And you're like, ah, no, I don't. He said to get that lower price you get with the loyalty cards, figure out what the local area code is ahead of time and then put in eight, six, seven, five, three Oh nine. And for people that are under the age of what, who, who doesn't know that phone number? Probably Just, under the I, age. I of barely 45. know it. So I would say under 45. Yeah. There was a song uh, flex there. about a about writing on a bathroom wall, and it was eight six seven five three zero nine. That's the name of the song, isn't how it? Do you, how, yeah, it's Jenny, Jenny. Yeah. Who can I turn to? Right. He's in love with Jenny because he found her phone number written on a bathroom. <laughs> That's how bathroom most of us stall. find them. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is. That's that's mom's neighbor Doug's dating plan right there. But anyway, so he put in that number, 8675309. Somebody established used that as their number, like at every single place. Somebody's like, I don't want to give you my real number. So they put that in. He said it's always worked. It has always worked to get the discount. So But you don't get any of the benefits. You just get the discount on the Wait, the benefit you get is that you get some discounts on some of the items. Yeah, you know, if you're a member of the grocery store thing, you get it at the lower price. Like when you buy 20 pot pies, they give you a nickel off. Because who doesn't do that? Yeah. Yeah. At a time. I haven't had a pot pie in forever. That's a good idea. I had a pot pie Mm. last week in... uh, We don't need to talk about this. And it was in Philadelphia, uh, hanging out with people after our event in Philadelphia, and Paula... I said, I want the pot pie and Paula pants sitting next to me. was like, I need a pot pie as well. And it was super good. (laughs) Fantastic. God, I hope we cut that segment. Why? Nobody wants to hear about us eating pot pies. No, (laughs) there's not a single redeeming moment in the last three minutes. Talking about pot pies. Can I tell you how delicious this pot pie was? (laughs) Stop. It was, it was so good. This is quality radio. Austin's upstairs listening to this with Mahamko and yeah, we don't need to steal everything. And it's my last like we don't. <laughs> <laughs> You guys would do better if you stole a little more often. Like steal from a good podcast. <laughs> I thought, I thought, I thought that was great though, Matt. Thanks for bringing that up in the basement. If you want to hang out with like-minded people, uh, by the way, stackingbenjamins.com slash basement gets you right to our Facebook group, our community. And uh, we have a lot of fun there. And thanks to Matt and Glenn and Scott and everybody hanging out, talking about, Eight six seven five three zero nine and roulette at the gas pump. All right, that's going to do it for today. Uh, a few things, by the way, we talked a little bit about community. This is not just a show at Stacking Benjamins. We have a lot of places where you can interact with us. We have a great YouTube channel. You can subscribe to us there. Instagram, we have, of course, as I go around the country, this thing I'm doing with Million Stories, where I'm interviewing regular people, and those all appear on our Instagram page. And if you are looking for deeper dives. You like the, one of the topics we talk about on today's show or on a different show. Uh, Brooke Miller helps us with the 201, our newsletter, always free, fantastic newsletter. You can unsubscribe if you decide it's not fantastic, but man, we're so proud of it. Stackingbenjamins.com slash 201 for that. And, uh, and we mentioned the basement Facebook group. So we try to give you a lot of surround sound, but if you need more than surround sound, you need good help in your corner. OG and his team also are taking clients and can help you more on a one-on-one basis stackybenjamins.com slash OG links to their calendar and uh, gets you thinking 
more creatively, as Austin would say, about your financial goals. All right, that's going to do it for today, Doug. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from Austin Cleon. Don't be afraid to riff off ideas of others and build something new from the collaboration. Second, considering crypto in your portfolio? Sure, go ahead. Just don't plan on it as a portion of your portfolio that'll help you retire. Leave it in your sandbox. But the big lesson? Do not share your art with Joe's mom. She took it down years ago, the Philistine. But apparently, she's put it in her special circular file. Apparently, it preserves the canvas better, she says. And bonus, no need for my plexiglass. Thanks to Austin Cleon for joining us. His book, Steal Like an Artist, is available anywhere you can steal it from. No, maybe don't do that. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. Do we want to have like a 20 minute discussion on where I'm going on vacation? No, that's, we know that's coming anyways. We don't need to do it ahead of time. OG and I are already scheduling time to have to listen to this later and then counsel each other afterwards. I have a 150 slide presentation I'd like to share with you guys about, uh,
all the places I'm going to be going. I'd rather go to a timeshare presentation. The funny thing is, is that that's what Joe's doing. <laughs> I just don't know it. That's how he's funding his trip. What you don't get a free vacation halfway around the world. That's what. That's what. Uh, that's what Wyndham told me. Wyndham. Wyndham said they give me a, a free all expense paid vacation. It was a pretty good deal. I just had to sit through like an hour of learning about uh, real estate opportunities. So you're going to this really cool place. And- I did have one time, I, the, the woman was trying to explain to me that it was a timeshare presentation I was going to, and I didn't get it. I just, I just did not get it. She's like, yeah, would you like to see uh, more about the property? And, and we will give you, uh, I think we were, we were in Orlando uh, for a marathon, and the woman goes, and we can, we'll give you free Disney tickets. And I look at Cheryl, and I said, oh, we, we'd love free Disney tickets. And Cheryl is kicking me. I'm like, yeah, how do we get the free Disney tickets? <laughs> And she's, and the woman brightens up and I make her go through the entire spiel. I, I, she was so happy. And I'm like, wow, this sounds great. This is amazing. And then she's like, so, so we'll take you around to see the entire property. And I said, well, what if I don't want to see the property? <laughs> what if I, I, I have no idea why I couldn't figure out it was a, it was a sales pitch. She goes, well, that's how you really, you get the tickets because you see the properties. I said, yeah, but I'm not going to buy any of the properties. <laughs> like, why, why don't we just cut to the chase and you give me the tickets? Like, why don't we do that? And Cheryl, Cheryl's like, I'm going to walk over here. And it's when, it was at that moment that I realized that it's a timeshare presentation. I'm like, oh, you're not giving me Disney tickets. Not the brightest crayon in the box, I are you? I totally was not on that day. I'd just gotten off of like a two and a half hour flight. And uh, a whole two and a half. Hours. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, that, hours? Yeah. Now I understand. Ooh, it. You, know, you know how long that is having to you sit coming back the, from Thailand. Where <laughs> I tell you what, my trip to Bavaria, right. It was fun. I didn't like that after show as much. Can we go back to the good news about was, OG's personality traits? <laughs> I, well, I was about to segue there. Cause I was going to say, but at least I wasn't aloof with the lady. I was very, very nice to her. Suffer no fools. <laughs> that's that's what would OG have said in that situation? Oh my god, what would he have said to a timeshare salesperson? The timeshare salesperson would have been like, No, here's the tickets, please go away. Yeah, they'd be in therapy. <laughs> Allow me to ask you a few follow up questions. <laughs> These drinks are free, okay? <laughs> have a seat. I was reading page 87 of this uh, investing circular. Let's spend a few seconds on that. I remember my mom called me one time and said, hey, uh, if you guys ever want to go camping, we've got a camping membership now. And I'm like, what? Did you see OG camping? I did it. I've, I've done it. I, I did my share. I did my time on the wall. I don't need to camp anymore. Glamp, maybe, but not camp. Yeah, that's and, the last uh, time you've done it, was in that nice, crisp, clean, white canvas tent that was on a platform, the mattress on the cot, right? No, I have not gone anywhere near the woods since um, I was in, I'm going to guess probably either either Bridgeport, California or 29 Palms. Those are Liar! my two favorite places. You just went things. glamping with your son on their school trip. Well, he said, he said oh. maybe glamping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, does that really count, though? That's my know. point. It was only like one day. <laughs> but you have told me that you camp. That trip, you're like, we're going camping. And I laughed. No, I didn't say we were going camping. You totally did. We're, and then you were asking me yeah, whether or not you we think that the, like the wheeled luggage might make it through the woods to the tent site. If the... if the oh, t- turned out I didn't need that because they carried it for me, so it worked <laughs> out. And the 55-inch TV... <laughs> 
No, there wasn't Wi-Fi, but I was smart enough to load enough stuff on my phone and bring a portable battery just in case they didn't have power, but they did. Pretty much bare. No, I mean, Yosemite has, I mean, Yosemite has what Yosemite has. I don't you know, it wasn't a special thing. It was, it's available to anyone, you know. With the right bank account. Anyway, my mom said she went to a timeshare presentation because she got a, got a thing in the, in the mail that said there's a good chance she's going to win the truck. So she had to go. Turns out the key didn't work. Her key oh. wasn't one of the ones. I said, did anybody's key work? She goes, no, I didn't see anybody win. And I'm like, yeah, weird. Hmm. Weird how that was. But you got a campground membership, which is great. So that was only five grand. <sighs> oh, no. Yep. Does she still She's have like, it? Well, I got it for you guys. Uh, no, I think they canceled it after the first year. It's like, well, I got it for you guys in case you wanted to come up and go camping. I'm like, they're... What about me screams, I'm going to drive to Michigan to go camping. Do you know I'm thinking OG needs for a birthday present, a camping membership? Well, she got it for herself, which, again, knowing anything about mom, she would. She hasn't been camping for 60 years. <laughs> She's 70 years old. So that's not anything that she would do <laughs> either. You know? Well, I mean, maybe she would have if she would have won the truck. She just wanted that yeah. truck. Turn over a whole new leaf. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.